You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Former mayor of Vancouver and Liberal Senator Larry Campbell confronted by global cameras today about money laundering in B.C. casinos. Campbell is a director for Great Canadian Gaming. It owns the River Rock Casino, which was singled out in a recent report on money laundering. But Campbell has said little about the controversy or about calls for a public inquiry. Our John Hua joins us with more on how the senator responded to Global's questions. John. Yeah, that's right. And Global News has been trying to get Campbell on the record for the past several weeks. That's because on top of being a Canadian senator, he's also served on Great Canadian Gaming's board of directors for a decade and is also the chair of its corporate compliance and security committee, positions that have both been declared. Records show Campbell has been compensated more than $800,000 and awarded deferred shares now worth more than $2 million for these roles. Now, many know the B.C. government commissioned a report that found casinos in this province have unwittingly served as laundromats for dirty money and the great Canadian-owned River Rock Casino was at the epicenter of this money laundering. Great Canadian says it welcomes the German report and continues to work with regulators to enhance anti-money laundering measures. But when Arsene Cooper tried to speak with Campbell outside Senate Chambers in Ottawa today, here's what happened. You're a director of compliance with Great Canadian Gaming. Can you tell us about any comments about the money laundering that's occurred at River Rock Casino? I have no idea what you're talking about. Thank you. Senator, you serve the Canadian people, but uh, as a director for uh, Great Canadian Gaming, you serve shareholders. Is there a conflict of interest there? Yeah. That's it. It's okay. just that you have to sum up the uh, report. Senator, excuse me, is there a conflict of interest Thank you very in much. you serving Great Canadian Gaming as a director? Senator, can you tell us how much you earn as a director for Great Canadian Gaming? Now, there is nothing against the rules about senators also serving on private boards as long as they recuse themselves when there might be a conflict of interest. And in fact, Campbell has recused himself in the past when matters being discussed in Senate involved gambling. Sophie? So, John, as you mentioned, Campbell is the chair of Great Canadians Corporate Compliance and Security Committee. What do they do exactly? Well, according to Great Canadians' own reports, uh, this committee oversees everything from the company's ethics and compliance programs, whether surveillance and security is adequate at all of its locations, as well as the company's overall compliance plan when it comes to regulators. So it seems a very important role. All right. Thanks for that, John Hua, reporting for us. With less than a month to go until marijuana becomes legal in Canada, there are concerns tonight about the potential repercussions for those working in the industry, even if they've never smoked pot. Keith Baldry explains why those working in government-sanctioned pot stores and other facilities fear they may be unfairly labeled at the border. Crossing the border into the U.S. often has its challenges, long lineups frequently being the biggest headache. But you can add one more for some. Government employees who work in cannabis-related jobs may soon have a tough time getting through. We're going to be having uh, people engaged in what will be a, a legal enterprise after October 17th. Uh, you will have people who are able to use a product that will be legal uh, in this country, but is not viewed that way at the United States border. Government employees will be working in enforcement, production, and retail aspects of the cannabis industry. Farnworth wants the federal government to get involved to protect their rights at the border where cannabis won't technically be legal. Uh, looking at ways in which we can ensure uh, that uh, people who are working, for example, in, uh, in government cannabis stores uh, will not be impacted. We're taking it very seriously. Uh, we'll be raising it uh, with the federal government and uh, we will continue to do so. 
Most of the government employees in the cannabis divisions of the provincial government are unionized, and their union says working in a government cannabis store should come without a potential penalty. A two to three year implementation plan. I certainly hope that they resolve this issue because members who choose to work in this socially responsible way of selling recreational cannabis shouldn't be unduly punished for doing so. And a lawyer specializing in border issues says government cannabis employees aren't the only people to have reason to be concerned at the border once legalization takes effect. This will affect thousands of provincial employees. Everything from the, uh, just a, a retail clerk or warehouse worker all the way up to the Premier of BC. John Horgan potentially could be denied entry based upon living off the avails of drug money. Remember, legalization takes effect October 17th, and crossing the U.S. border may never again be the same for many. Keith Baldry, Global News. The mother of a child who died at home-based Vancouver Daycare is suing Vancouver Coastal Health, the province, and the daycare operator. Baby Max Saney died last January. According to the notice of civil claim, the child died after choking on an electrical cord. The allegation is that he had been left unattended in an overcrowded daycare. Baby Max's mother, Shelley Shepard, says the Ministry of Children and Family Development, as well as Vancouver Coastal Health, failed in their duties to ensure the daycare was operating both legally and safely. So far, no response has been filed by any of the defendants named in the claim. The family of a man gunned down in Richmond one year ago is appealing to the public for answers. 41-year-old Joseph de Carvalho was found with multiple gunshot wounds on Bridge Street near Number 4 Road. An unknown person wearing a hoodie with a backpack was seen on video surveillance in the area around the time of the shooting. A dark SUV was also caught on video in the area. It's been a year since someone unjustly ended Joe's life. But we mourn him without closure because we do not have any answers. The thought of Joe lying alone to die without anyone to hold him during his last moments is heartbreaking. IHIT says De Carvalho was known to police and his death is believed to be targeted. It has been five years since a Coquitlam man with Alzheimer's disappeared, sparking renewed calls for a national alert system. Shin No was last seen by his wife, leaving for his daily walk, but he never returned. His son Sam is helping lead efforts to establish a silver alert, similar to an amber alert, but for seniors with Alzheimer's or dementia who go missing. A smaller scale program has been set up with search and rescue crews, but Sam says having the ability to send out an alert nationwide is crucial. With Alert Ready, you can geo-target areas to receive alerts. So, you know, there's a level of frustration where we're not utilizing this technology. Um, as, as you know, Alzheimer's is on the rise. Six out of ten do wander. This issue is not going away. So the, this discussion needs to continue. Protesters gathered to send a message to Vancouver Mayor Gregor Robertson today. Robertson is attending his last council meeting as mayor, and demonstrators are calling him out on some of his failed promises. Tanya Beja is live outside City Hall with more on the rally and what protesters want. Tanya. Well, Chris, protesters want to remind the mayor of his vow to end homelessness, a vow that remains unfulfilled. 
Our homes can't wait! Homeless advocates say broken promises are the legacy of Gregor Robertson's 10 years in office. Why are we being denied our right to go into the city council? I voted this man in so he'd deal with homelessness. We want to remind him that people are dying on the streets. Downtown Eastside is not going to stand for it. We are going to end homelessness in Vancouver. Robertson sailed to victory in 2008 with a pledge to end homelessness by 2015. But according to the most recent count, nearly 2,200 people are homeless in Vancouver. That's up from nearly 1,600 when Robertson took office. I'm heartbroken. This is probably the biggest disappointment that I've ever experienced in my life. I really believed him when he was first elected. Judy Graves, Vancouver's former homeless advocate, says while the city was quick to open more temporary shelters, those weren't rapidly replaced by affordable housing. I think the city went wrong by taking advice from people who had no experience with homelessness. I think they went wrong by um, putting it on the back burner. Under Robertson's watch, the city is building 600 units of temporary modular housing. A community land trust will also create affordable rental housing on city land. But with the majority on council for years, critics say Robertson could have accomplished more. They were trying too many things. They were going here, there, everywhere, uh, and, and ended up solving none of the issues. Poor relations with the previous provincial government also hampered housing initiatives. In the end, Robertson's words serve as a caution for future candidates. His choice to say he was going to solve homelessness was perhaps naive. It was also perhaps opt uh, opportunistic. Uh, in this statement he made has haunted him since, since 2008. We reached out to the mayor's team. He wasn't available to offer his perspective, but the city did release details today on a $2 billion housing endowment fund that's designed to improve affordable housing options in the city. Chris and Sophie, back to you. All right, thanks very much, Tanya. Well, we are a little more than a month out from civic elections across B.C., and a movement is underway to get more millennials out to the polls. As Richard Zussman reports, the aim is not just to get them to cast ballots, but to get them on the ballot and elected. They have a bad reputation, entitled, lazy, self-absorbed, and when it comes to politics, unwilling to show up. But these millennials are trying to change that. We wanted to send a signal loud and clear to and through media that this is a change and renewal cycle and that there's a hundred young candidates running throughout Metro Vancouver and the Fraser Valley. Of those 100 candidates, half of them were part of the Forum for Millennial Leadership today. The half-day conference aimed at getting those born since 1982 elected to local office. Millennials have different experiences than a lot of other generations and the fact that we're facing challenges that other generations haven't faced. I think the biggest one is housing affordability. The advantage millennials have, they're living proof of Vancouver's greatest problems. Struggling to find a place to live, raising a family, or getting around. I think it's uh, super important that we have people that actually face the issues at, on council advocating to solve the issues. One of the challenges for millennials is actually to get other millennials to vote. And one of the ways they're engaging is through social media platforms like Facebook. Those accounts help link people um, easily. right? So it's a lot more, it makes those voters, that voter base a lot more accessible. But social media can only do so much. 
the key will be ensuring that voters actually get out to vote. And if young voters do show up, these millennials may not just have new jobs, but get the credit for breaking some stereotypes as well. Richard Zussman, Global News, Vancouver. Right now, though, on the surface, the new traffic control program rolled out today by Coquitlamar CMP looks about as low-tech as it gets. But as Grace Key reports, there's a lot more behind the fake cops that'll soon be standing by the side of the road. This constable works 24-7, doesn't ask for a raise or break. Fellow citizens, it's my great pleasure to introduce to you the future of traffic law enforcement, Constable Scarecrow. His job is to make the roads safer in Coquitlam, and he doesn't work alone. A real officer is ready to pop out at any time, anywhere. We can't be everywhere writing tickets, so Constable Scarecrow is a low-cost way of getting more police officers on the street and hopefully getting people to slow down. A black cat monitoring system, one of the first in the country, will also be monitoring traffic patterns around the cutout to see if it's effective. 24-7 monitoring system that automatically monitors speed, lane position and traffic flow. So we know what people are doing both before and after Constable Scarecrow is in place. This isn't the first time Coquitlam RCMP has come up with a creative way to nab speeders or distracted drivers. Earlier this year, an officer and a cherry picker would point out offenders to a crew on the ground. Cell phone, right hand. In Victoria, police traveled on city buses to nab distracted drivers. And Vancouver has also used cutout officers. At $500 a cutout, three will be positioned at undisclosed locations in Coquitlam and Port Coquitlam. After the two-month pilot project, if Constable Scarecrow gets people to slow down, you'll see him at more problem areas. Grace Key, Global News. And here's another creative tool to drive home the message about slowing down. BCAA and preventable temporarily installing a 3D optical illusion called Pavement Patty across from a Burnaby school. The idea is, as drivers approach the image, a child appears to pop up and run across the street. A visual cue to take extra care and adhere to the speed limit. A rare sight captured in Coquitlam over the weekend. Global viewer Michael Davis getting some video of a bobcat in his backyard. A bobcat sighting is rare. The animals are very shy. Uh, They are not considered to be dangerous. Looks like a kitten having fun in the garden there. Uh, Well, for the third time in less than a week, residents of a homeless camp are on the move, evicted from their current location after being moved out of two other spots. As Kylie Stanton reports, the government says it's a safety issue. The campers say they're being harassed and are now asking the public to find them a new home. More than 50 officers surround Ravine Park, cordoning it off first thing this morning. A rude awakening for those living here, ordered to pack up and get out. They were storming our camp, I guess. It's very stressful. It's the third time in less than a week the residents of the camp they call Namigans have been displaced. First, more than 100 people were evicted from Regina Park, where many had been living since May. What are you supposed to do? Then on Saturday, they were moved once again from the site they had set up in nearby Rudd Park. 
Here on provincial land where the encampment is exempt from the Saanich camping bylaw, they thought they had more time. We were told that we weren't going to have to move until uh, we were informed about it. But instead, Transportation and Infrastructure Minister Claire Trevena is exercising both the Trespass and Transportation Act asking the police to come in as the province's agents, using its authority to enforce the eviction on the piece of property deemed unsafe due to its proximity to traffic. I don't understand the impatience uh, and the unwillingness to have people live here securely while they talk to them about uh, what can be done to put a roof over their head. The Ministry of Municipal Affairs and Housing issued this statement, saying campers in Saanich have the option of moving to a number of local parks where camping is authorized. While we know it's not a long-term solution, it's safer than their current location. With a U-Haul packed, the campers complied, making their way back to Rudd Park, only to be turned away by police, citing the Saanich bylaw that restricts camping between dusk and dawn. It's forcing them into a corner. This land, now cleared, has been turned back over to the Ministry of Transportation and Infrastructure to assess the need for remediation work, leaving campers not only out of options, but desperate. So what we're asking right now uh, to the public is if you have any land uh, where uh, homeless residents are able to camp for the next uh, few days to be able to regroup, we are really welcoming those offers. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Saanich. Imagine getting a phone call from your school during the morning rush to get ready, telling you your child has to stay home because there aren't enough teachers. Right, hard to imagine for a lot of parents, but that is the harsh reality for parents of special needs students. And as Catherine Urquhart reports, they're now collecting some hard data to show how bad it is. At schools around the province, kids should be back in the classroom, but many children with special needs are being shut out, told to stay home or leave class early due to a lack of supports. Now an online tool has been launched to track how many kids are being excluded. So far we've had 98 respondents to our, our tracking tool, so 98 different incidences of children um, being excluded from school in various ways. And Marishak among those impacted. Last year, she made the tough decision to pull her child from the public system. Just came to a point where the hours that he was attending were, were so few that it just didn't make sense for us to continue. The Ministry of Education told Global News we're funding up to 3,700 new teachers, including over 1,000 additional education assistants. And we're updating our inclusive education policy as part of our funding model review, which outlines requirements for school districts to support students with special needs. We needed to have the data to back up exactly what was happening with our kids. Giving parents an opportunity to log in and, and track that, we feel that we'll collect the data that we need to go to Rob Fleming and ask him to address the issue. The survey can be found at bcedaccess.com. Parents of special needs kids are being encouraged to participate. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. A dash camera captures a near tragedy at an Arizona highway rest stop. Do you notice what the trucker didn't? The driver forgot he tied his dog to the bumper and drove off. Thankfully, a sheriff's volunteer was there, noticed and hit the sirens. They quickly stopped the truck and explained to the driver what was happening. The grateful owner, very thankful his dog was okay. Close call.
Definitely. All right, a shocking story now out of California where a high-profile surgeon and his girlfriend are accused of rape. Investigators say, based on the evidence so far, there could be as many as a thousand victims. Dr. Grant Robichaux, the handsome bachelor who appeared on a Bravo dating show. My name is Sarissa Riley. And his girlfriend, Sarissa Riley, used their good looks, say prosecutors, to lure victims, drugging and sexually assaulting them in Newport Beach, preying on upwards of a thousand women. It's important to understand that rapists can look like anyone. They can be anyone. They can be either gender. My specialty is the A smooth-talking surgeon in the glitzy California beach town, police say Robichaux and Riley met one victim at a restaurant, taking her back to his apartment when she was intoxicated. The defendants are accused of supplying multiple drugs to the victim, then raping and orally copulating her. Another victim, who they met at a bar, was also brought to the suspect's apartment, sexually assaulting her with intent to commit rape after she passed out. Jane Doe 2 awoke and screamed for help until a neighbor called the Newport Beach Police Department. Based on videos found on their cell phones, prosecutors believe there could be a thousand victims, some perhaps met at events like Burning Man, a handsome couple police call the face of evil. Miguel Almaguer, NBC News, Los Angeles. A Japanese billionaire is the first private passenger to book a flight around the moon. Finally, I can say I'm very glad to be here and I really exciting and really honored. So SpaceX CEO Elon Musk announcing the Japanese entrepreneur Yusaku Maizawa has bought all of the seats on the first crewed flight of the SpaceX Big Falcon rocket. He says he plans on selecting as many as eight artists to accompany him. If all goes according to plan, Maizawa and crew will fly around the moon in 2023. Maizawa has not revealed how much he's paying for the trip. Meantime, the problems keep piling up for Elon Musk relating to his tweets last month about possibly taking his Tesla car company private. The company's now turned over documents to the U.S. Justice Department as part of a criminal investigation into whether Musk was misleading investors. In Health Matters tonight, the provincial government is teaming up with Save On Foods in an effort to reduce drug overdoses. Free naloxone kits will now be available at all Save On pharmacies across the province. Information on overdose prevention will also be printed on all prescription bags and store flyers. The government says pharmacists can play an essential role in lowering the risks that come with opioid use. This is about getting the message out to people about the overdose crisis. It's about encouraging people to have compassionate conversations with people that they know who may be at risk of addiction. But it's also highlighting the role of pharmacists who are really frontline healthcare providers, greatly trusted by their communities, who can play such a big role in helping to prevent overdoses and train the public about how to help to prevent overdoses. Also in Health Matters tonight, it's been nearly a week since Apple announced that its new watch could actually act as an EKG, monitoring for heart abnormalities. As Linda Aylesworth reports, one BC heart specialist says the new technology could save lives, but there are some concerns. It's been a long while since wristwatches were expected to merely keep time. We've attached my Timex directly to the propeller blade. In more recent years, they've been part of a fitness craze to track our heart rate and set goals. 
but times are changing once again. Now we're seeing a shift, moving from fitness to trying to identify disease and treat disease. Dr. Laxman, a cardioelectrophysiologist or heart electrician at St. Paul's Hospital, was asked to review the latest technology and determine how it might affect patients and clinics. Some of these technologies give direct feedback to a patient or to a consumer that there's a medical problem that needs to seek out medical attention. Thing is, they're only 70 to 80% as accurate as the heart monitoring equipment used in hospitals. So sometimes they detect problems that don't exist. The level of anxiety that that produces for that individual, and then the level of investigation and medical encounters that that will yield will certainly be a heavy cost. On the other hand, they can also get it right, alerting the wearer to heart arrhythmias like atrial fibrillation, which left untreated can lead to strokes. And we're seeing waves of people coming into our clinics self-diagnosing with heart rhythm disorders. So is wearable technology a good or bad thing? Dr. Laxman concludes that it could be very good, but that our medical system is totally unprepared for what's to come. Uh, we're very excited to see these type of wearable technologies come into our system, and I think the onus is on us to step up to the plate and be able to deliver care based on these technologies. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. The Emmy Awards hit a new viewership low last night, but there were some surprises. The first lady of television, Betty White, was honored. Henry Winkler took home his first Emmy after decades in Hollywood, and there was a surprise proposal. ET Canada's Cheryl Hickey has the highlights. The Emmy for Outstanding Comedy Series goes to... It's a marvelous night for the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. The show sweeps the comedy categories with five of six awards, including Outstanding Comedy Series, Supporting Actress and Lead Actress in a Comedy for Rachel Brosnahan. Thank you to our brilliant writers and creators, Amy Sherman-Palladino and Dan Palladino. I'll be thanking you for the rest of my life for trusting me with your midge. Not to be forgotten, Barry, the dark horse of the night, which took home two comedy awards, including lead actor for Bill Hader and supporting actor for Henry Winkler. Can I just say Skip Brittenham said to me a long time ago, if you stay at the table long enough, the chips come to you. And tonight, I got to clear the table. Some other big surprises of the night, Betty White, who received a standing ovation and proved at 96. Ah, oh, yes, she's still got it. It's incredible that you can, you can stay in a, in a career this long and still have people put up with you. <laughs> Another amazing twist came from Glenn Weiss, who took home an Emmy for outstanding directing for a variety special for the Oscars. You wonder why I don't like to call you my girlfriend? Because I want to call you my wife. <laughs> hey guys, don't worry, she said yes. In the drama category, Game of Thrones took home the top prize, and Peter Dinklage and Tandy Newton won Outstanding Supporting Actor and Actress, respectively. As for lead actress and actor, those went to Claire Foy for The Crown and Matthew Reese for The Americans. Uh, and finally, to the woman who truly got me this award, who just stands in front of me every day and puts up with me. Um, she said, if you propose to me, I'll punch you clean in the mouth. <laughs> uh, thank you. More to come. Thank you. Wait, thanks. 
<laughs> Trying to sort it all out. Yeah. Three armed thugs burst into a bar and get a lot more than they bargained for from the senior citizen inside. That's right after Christie's forecast. You don't want to mess with an Irish guy in a pub, I'm thinking, is what they're thinking <laughs> now. We'll show you more of that coming up. Uh, right now, let's take a look outside and see what's happening. There's uh, Christy with a look at our forecast. Christy? Thanks. Just going back to that possible tornado in uh, just outside of Mission, Hayward Lake, uh, Sunday, 3.03 p.m. Uh, Environment Canada has confirmed it's a possible tornado. They're not going to go out and do the damage survey because they don't know the exact location. It could be a needle in the haystack in that uh, thickly forested area. If you're wondering, though, 51 tornadoes around B.C., eight in through the lower mainland. So the eighth would be the one that happened on Sunday. Here are the other, the latest. Six, another one in 1954 in the New Westminster area. A lot of tornadoes uh, or possible tornadoes. Now, if you're wondering why I say possible or probable, go to our website. I have a full explanation on our website, globalnews.ca slash BC, and go to our weather page and you'll have a full explanation as to why they say it's probable now or possible. Um, first snowfall in Whistler. This is what they woke up to today in the Whistler area. Very exciting for them. Uh, if you're wondering, we're still a while away from opening. November 22nd is the opening. Meanwhile, back home, this was the scene today. It was absolutely beautiful. But everyone, it is, well, I just want to show you the temperatures. I'm going to show you. I was going to say, good, say goodbye to summer because, yes, this warmth we will not feel, I don't think, for, well, right through the winter, potentially. 21 degrees, the hot spot across uh, BC in Soyuz today. Yes, possibly say goodbye to summer, everyone. Thanks to Ken for this shot, and that's exactly the title that he gave me. Uh, because after today, tomorrow we are going to see increasing cloud. Tomorrow only warming up to 16 degrees. Now, over the next two days, we don't have a lot of rain. But we will see a lot more cloud. And then this system will push on shore, and that's our Friday, everyone. So a chance of showers across these regions, mainly cloudy with rain and through the Bella Coola area and northern part of Vancouver Island, but mostly dry. But we're changing over to more cloud tomorrow. Still warm in the interior, but much cooler across the south coast. Highs of 16 in Vancouver. Friday, potentially only 13 degrees with that rain, and we change over officially to fall on Saturday. But I think it is going to actually happen tomorrow and i'll leave you with another goodbye to summer a nice shot from berard inlet thanks to grant for that one that is a great shot wow thank you christy well it's a pretty safe bet the three would-be robbers in ireland who burst into a bar armed with a shotgun and a hammer were feeling pretty confident unfortunately they ran into 85 year old dennis o'connor the great grandfather was in the bar when the three stormed in and he was having none of it on the right of the screen, O'Connor, you'll see, grapples with one of the robbers and chases him and the man with the gun out the door, despite having the gun pointed at him. After the manager also fights back, the third suspect finally decides to run as well. O'Connor chases him right out the door. Police are searching closed-circuit TV footage trying to find the suspects. They put up a good fight, those guys. Not only are you a robber, now you're an embarrassed one. <laughs> now you've been chased out by a great-grandfather. 85-year-old dude, just kick your butt. Well, bef him. Before we bring uh, Squire in, I just want to say a big thank you to everyone who came out today for the sold-out Hope Couture fashion show at Fairmont Pacific Rim. Uh, I was honored once again to be master of ceremonies. It's a major fundraiser for the BC Cancer Foundation. Ticket sales, raffle sales, the silent live auction by Fred Lee, mind you. 
He's always a kick. Raised money for a new hey. pet. What was that? Sam. That was Sam. That was Sam Fox. He was almost yeah, yeah. right in the front row. Uh, raised money for a new PET CT scanner for BC Cancer Vancouver. Uh, they're hoping for better diagnosis, better treatment for people with cancer. And we raised $575,000 today. Wow. So thank well done. Did you great. model? You should have modeled. I did not model. No, that's not my thing. But Fred Lee did a great job on the catwalk. <laughs> As he always does. <laughs> he did. You also got to navigate the sports. We've got Squire here to do that. And it's, we'll, we'll be nav we're navigating the now. <laughs> yes, we are. Now right now. Sports. Right now it's happening. <laughs> Actually, we're navigating the future because the game really hasn't started yet. It uh, doesn't count for points, but at least tonight's first exhibition game for the Canucks will not be boring. They're taking on Edmonton. Tyler Benson, former Vancouver Giant, will be out there for the Oilers. Uh, as for the Canucks, we'll get to see the new Swedes. Jonathan Dahlin and Elias Pettersson. Brock Besser, I don't think, will play tonight. Horvat likely will, and Anders Nilsson will go in goal, and he'll play the entire game. But the key name, of course, on the lineup card for Canucks Nation is Elias Pettersson. He was able to adjust, brilliantly I might add, to playing in Sweden's top league last year. He looked good at training camp, but that's nothing like an NHL game. And Pettersson is glad he can now finally test himself against the biggest and best league in the world, even though it's just preseason hockey. Uh, like, you have to get more games uh, going on. Uh, to. I have opportunity to show that I can hopefully play good on the game, so I will take those games and do and try to make, make the most of it. He's a soft-spoken kid. Uh, John Tavares now wearing a Maple Leaf uniform. Taking on the Ottawa Senators, exhibition hockey of course, but Leafs Nation excited about that goal by number 91. Tavares, don't leave him that wide open. He'll score every time. Well, it is a good thing there are more than two teams in the CFL. If it was just Montreal and BC, Travis Lule would have injured every body part by now. There's something freaky about Lule when he plays the Alouettes. He got hurt against them last week, a dislocated shoulder that'll keep him out for at least a month, maybe a bit longer. And that was just one of four injuries against the Alouettes over the years for Lule. Bringing pressure, Montreal is, and the veteran quarterback takes another hellacious hit. I don't know how to explain that, you know. I, Yeah, it's bizarre. And Lule takes a wallop on the second play from scrimmage. It's just, it's, it's really weird, obviously, uh, September and, and against Montreal. The left leg of Lule seems to get caught underneath a bear on the tackle. Well, the good thing is we're not playing Montreal again, so... Well, the way he walks to the training staff here, you think separated shoulder immediately. And but the other Travis Lule has become the Montreal Alouette's personal pinata. A pair of shoulder injuries and two knee injuries, all in the month of September. It's as if when the calendar flips, somebody in Montreal pulls out a BC Lions voodoo doll and starts sticking pins into another Lule body part. Whatever just happened, we can't change that, right? So I'm, I can't, me wallowing or going, wow, I can't believe I should never play Montreal again. When you've had the number and severity of injuries as Travis Lule, you don't ask why. Instead, you ask how. This will be Travis's fourth major rehab stint in the last six seasons. He knows what it takes to come back. You just have to wonder how many comebacks he has left in him. To be honest, I hadn't thought about that. Like, I really hadn't between, since the game ended till now, like, I, I hadn't had that thought. It was, uh, okay, do I have a chance to come back this season? Uh, yes, there's a chance, so let's do everything I can to do that. 
and Lule hopes to be back before the end of the regular season. Just speaking off of my own personal experience, right, I dislocated my throwing shoulder in 2013 for the first time, and I played on a throwing shoulder, what was it, six or seven weeks later? So I would imagine less than that in a non-throwing shoulder would be a, a best-case scenario. you ever want to play Montreal again, or can we just wipe that off the slate? Man, you know, it's, it's to the point where it's hard to say it's a fluke, right? So if I get that chance again, I might have to think about that. Jay Janower, Global Sports. In their opening game against Denver, the Seattle Seahawks were down at halftime. They rallied in the second half, but they still lost. Yesterday in Chicago, they started bad, rallied a bit, and lost again. And it was that bad start that sent them to an 0-2 start. Disappointed that we didn't show better in the first half. Uh, we, the first half just was much of a carryover from last week. We got sacked a bunch of times and couldn't get rolling and didn't convert on third down again on offense. It is only two games into a 16-game season, but starting 0-2 usually means no playoffs in the NFL. Since 2007, only 10% of all teams that start the season with two straight losses make the postseason. But the ever-optimistic Russell Wilson thinks the Hawks can beat the odds. I think it's in the margin of error is, is really, really small. Um, and uh, I, I really believe that. You know, I'm, I'm normally really optimistic. You guys know that. But I really believe that. So I think that's the situation right now. Well, it's nice that he's optimistic. It I is. personally am not. Yeah, that, that stat is shocking. 90%. Yeah, not that start. Don't make it to the. The other thing that was shocking was how many times he got sacked, especially in the first half. (laughs) Right. All right. Thanks, Squire. It is one of the most prime pieces of real estate in North America, in the heart of Vancouver, and it's still undeveloped. Tonight, in a rare interview with the owner of the company that will, we all hope, eventually develop it, Ted Chernecki gets the latest on his plans to make it the greenest project in the city. How many boats were there competing in that? Oh, 40 boats. Terry Hoy, one of Canada's leading developers, is on a roll. He's just back from Italy, where he became the first Canadian to win the Maxi Yacht Rolex Cup. Spectacular action. High-caliber competition. He won the Wally class aboard the Lyra, a sailboat he only purchased three months ago. And yes, he was at the helm, even though he's only just started sailing competitively. I mean, you stick with a good team, like, uh, just like... I'm the weak link, but they compensate for all my mistakes, right? He also won this on the greenest boat in the race. All the winches are powered by lithium-ion batteries, no hybrids, no diesel engines. Sailing is eco-friendly already, but the Lyra is more so, which is what attracted him to buy it. This boat is very special to me because uh, it has all electric winches. In fact, green is a philosophy for Concord's CEO. The company has several renewable energy projects that it claims more than powers all the new condos they build. We are the uh, first developer in Vancouver to bring in 100% uh, electric, electric vehicle charging parquet. Mm-hmm. Earlier this year, we saw one of Concord's new buildings with 500 parking stalls, all wired for high-speed electrical charging. Another project will add 1,500 more. Clearly, Concord sees the electric car as the future. He has really anticipated what the market is going to be and is really preparing for that by making sure that his buildings are designed to accommodate electric vehicles. And speaking of the future, Hoy sees a very special future for Northeast Falls Creek. It is here where he plans to make his crowning achievement when it comes to developing the old Expo lands. I travel around the world, I see that a lot of the cities, um, the harbors define the city, right? We have, uh, Falls Creek is a very special place. So we want to create something that's, uh, 
like, I, I hate to use the word world class, but I want something appropriate for Vancouver, but it's the next generation of Harbourfront. Like the city, he too wants to see False Creek cleaned up so people can actually swim in it. No easy task. But don't underestimate Hoy, who was educated as a physicist. When he puts his mind to something, it's all or nothing, like that race in Italy. So he put a lot of trust in, in the people around him to put that together. And his competitors would have been doing that for some of them for decades with, without that result. And as for buying this victory, well, at this level, they're all at the top of their game. No one is wanting for anything. Ted Chernahi, Global News. Oh, that he's a physicist. Yeah, very, <laughs> very sharp guy. And it's oh. what, uh, they've owned it, what, 26 years? That, that parcel? Here I am. Long, long time. Yeah. Let's, get, let's get it built. Terry, right. come on now. <laughs> huh? One of these days. All One right, days. final word on the weather? Sure. Uh, I really do think we said goodbye to summer today. I honestly got a little bit emotional when I said that. It, it is, right? A little choked, a little choked a little, up, right? Yes, especially seeing all the photos that people sent in on these days. I get a lot of photos. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow, it's not going to be a soaker for the next two days by any means, but cloudy and cooler, and uh, it's going to feel more like fall. Summer will come back. It's okay. <laughs> not soon enough. In the meantime, you can wear sweaters and boots and cozy blankets. <laughs> Oh, I love you.